Yeah, your your little house on the prairie story reminded me of you know my childhood. We we came from uh, you know humble beginnings, and uh, our plan was we would buy a awful dilapidated small house. We would mm. move into it, we'd fix it up, and we would only get it done the day the realtor was coming to list it. And it would be completed <laughs> at that you know that final hour, and then we would buy a bigger dilapidated house, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> move into it, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't see finished drywall, uh, you know, until I was probably 14 or 15. Welcome again to It Doesn't Take a Genius, conversation with introspective perspectives and pithy points of view. Here are your hosts, my friends, Max and Marty. I think that's Mark and Mike. Yeah, whatever. Ramsey! Marshall, I brought books today. Oh, Lord. I no. believe that's about 1,782 pages. You uh, you know what? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. That's a lot of book. Well, I, I, uh, it's something that I've been thinking about for a while, and I uh, had a book club meet, and it had everything to do with the stuff that we've been talking about uh, over time. So I tried to sort of put together an outline, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share some excerpts, share some thoughts. And um, you're going to probably have reactions that are going to be better than whatever I've got thinking in my head right now. So let, let me let me start with a couple phrases that I bet you've heard before. Um, Kaizen. Yes, the Japanese continuous improvement idea. Yes, always improving, right? Um, and in fact, you and I have put together teams, CITs, continuous improvement teams. We've done that for a very long time, helping organizations improve yes um, we did that we named them that because no one could pronounce kaizen <laughs> right that's exactly right well let me give you another one that we struggle to pronounce um and i only know about it uh i'm not old enough to have uh, seen the commercials i don't think but uh it was used in a u2 song that i love uh vorsprung dirk technique it was audi's oh so this is new to you too okay yeah, well it's, i haven't it heard that one yeah it's a it's a classic uh, line of uh, commercials that Audi had in the I, gosh I I guess seventies I think right um, and it was an old slogan of theirs but they brought it back out to sort of remind people that hey we're German engineering you know uh, you you may have forgotten but we're German engineering and it means uh, progress through technology Ooh. is this sounding similar a little bit similar yes uh, we had a coworker who would actually get his uh, clients to chant. I can't imagine ever doing this, but he would get them to chant, good, better, best, never let it rest. Yes. Just, just stunning that he was able to achieve that. I don't, I don't know if there's any other examples that like immediately come to your mind where, you know, as a, as a society, um, you know, uh, companies, uh, you know, you might think about Bill Clinton using, uh, you know, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, the Fleetwood Mac song in all of his campaign uh, stops uh, as sort of like the theme song, but he like progress, progress, progress. We are all about improvement. Oh yeah. No, the, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, Morgan Freeman in the Shawshank Redemption. Get busy hmm. living or get busy dying. Oh, there, so there's another good one. I, I have, a, in fact, my coach, he would say, resting is rusting. Ooh, resting <laughs> great? resting. Oh, that is really good. So, so here's the question that has been 
bothering me. Um, why? Why do any of this? And I started, you know, really, really thinking about that. Like, you know, you can still live if you're if you're not progressing. Companies can still function if they're not, you know, always constantly improving. I think maybe it's a survival technique. But let me give an example from the ancients. Um, people will talk. Uh, scholars will talk about the Greek miracle the greek miracle and it mainly centered around athens but there was this period of i don't know like maybe 200 years where like everything happened uh you know architecture developed philosophy developed math was discovered uh in ways that it had never been discovered before um uh, uh what we now call science uh, really became like a, a thing uh you know sort of rational inquiry into this world um we could talk about, I mean, I think there were changes in agriculture, uh, set aside all the literary literary changes uh, where they were developing plays, tragedies, and comedies, and um, and then democracy, and the ability to have like a two-way, you know, conversation politically as a, as a nation, as a, as a city group. Um, all of that happened in about 200 years. And if you look at that, I, I've heard people compare it to, like, say, the Egyptians. The Egyptians... Um, their civilization lasted uh, much, much longer than that 200-year period. Like, I, I think for thousands of years, uh, there was an Egyptian civilization that was fairly static. Like, you know, the, um, the, the pyramids were still being built in different phases of, of, uh, of the centuries that the, the, the Egyptian civilization lasted. There wasn't a ton of change compared to this huge swell in, in the, the Greek areas. Part of it's just timing. I'm not saying that there's like something special about the Greeks racially or ethnically necessarily. Um, but, you know, they, they, they began trading across the Mediterranean and uh, they were trading with the Phoenicians who developed the alphabet. So they bring the alphabet back and, you know, just all sorts of things were happening that, but man, this explosion in let's say 200 years of all these different things, um, and again, why, you know, why did they have such an explosion? So, so I'm going to, if, if, if you, you'll bear with me, I'm going to read you a very short excerpt from the day and age of the Greeks um, that I think will explain this. And this is the Iliad. Um, it's a book kind of about the, the Trojan war. It's set during the Trojan war. It has lots of amazingly, you know, X-rated uh, war battle scenes, um, but it's a book about honor. It's it's a book about honor. And, and so here's here's an example. Uh, these two uh, fighters meet uh, in the middle of a battle. And, you know, they sort of in in uh, in Homer's world, they would announce themselves to each other. And so, you know, he says, who are you? And this gentleman, Glaucus, says um, he says, uh, Hippolochus fathered me. I'm proud to say he sent me off to Troy and I hear his urgings ringing in my ears. Always be the best, my boy, the bravest, and hold your head up high above the others. Never disgrace the generation of your fathers. They were the bravest champions born in Corinth, in Lycia far and wide. There you have my lineage. That is the blood I claim, my royal birth. And um, so, so he makes this claim, uh, always be the best. He says, that's what my father taught me. And, and he says, do it so that you um, can hold your head up high above the others, you know, excel beyond the others. 
mm-hmm. um, and don't disgrace your fathers, your ancestors. That's that's it. Like that. That's why he's doing what he's doing is is so that he can be the best and excel above all others and not disappoint the people he came from. There, there's the the answer in a nutshell. I I guess I'll stop there uh, and let you respond because I know I just did word vomit times ten. But um, what do you no, think of no. that? Well, I think it's a much better answer than. Well, I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> Much better answer. You know, I like pina coladas and long walks in the rain. And yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, his answer is much better. At the same time, I'm also thinking about like, like if I'm picturing sending my daughter off to first grade and, yeah. and going, listen, you know, you're descended from, you know, multiple generations of people who have excelled. Right. And what you do today in school reflects on all those previous generations and our family, yeah. our ancestors. And so uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tremendous, um, I don't know if I would call it burden, but it's a tremendous, well, it's called responsibility, tremendous yeah. responsibility yeah. to uphold uh, not just your behavior, but, but, you know, that it reflects on the lineage of your, of your ancestors. Yeah. Sometimes at the expense of yourself, right. Because, um, you know, I think of all the, uh, the car dealers you and I have worked with over the years and that name is on the sign, you know, dad's name, grandpa's name, great grandpa's name is on the sign. And, you know, I wanted to be a, an artist. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a, you know, fill in the blank. I've heard a, a million different versions of this, but I put that aside because I didn't want to disappoint the family. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people hear that and say, oh, what a tragedy. But I'm just here to tell you, I think that there's something to that to say, I am upholding the family legacy. There is some glory here, some honor worth giving and and i'm going to i'm going to do that um so i i think you're onto something there you know with the with the first grader getting the burden i think there's immigrant families who do that right go go make us proud mm-hmm. go make us proud yep yeah your your great grandfather was a doctor his father was a doctor yep. <laughs> right? yep. and uh you know we're expecting uh, big things from you as well that's exactly right yeah. and you make a good point i remember uh, in 08, when we had the, 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 a lot of dealerships were shut down and things like that with, during the, the big recession, I remember at a little Chevy store and they also had Cadillac and they, you know, it wasn't a big part of their business. They sold less than five a month. Um, but I remember GM took the Cadillac franchise away from the Chevy store. Oh, and man. I remember talking to the owner and he was devastated yeah, it didn't make sense to me at first. And he and then he said, you know, he said, I'm, you know, I'm third generation. You know, my yeah. grandfather started with Cadillac. My father had Cadillac and I'm the generation to lose it. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I never thought of that way. And he 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 lawyered up and and, uh, you know, spent some money and managed to get it back. Good for him. Yeah. With no. None of it made business sense. It it was, it was, yeah, yeah, he may never recoup all the money he spent in lawyer fees in his Cadillac sales, um, but he didn't want to let the the generational 
uh, you know, piece of this die. Well, so yeah, was it going to die on his watch at least? Right, right, and and I think that's where this conversation, sort of where I wanted to take it, was you know the the making of business sense because sometimes that's um, yeah. First off, I'm not saying that glory is always the thing we're supposed to pursue and that should motivate us, blah, blah, blah. But I but I would say that that's a much stronger motivation than what eventually happens, which is um, a motivation by uh, maybe you could say wealth. And it's a really tricky slope. Um, if you think about this, this is kind of weird, but um, if you think about another Homeric work, another um another uh, Greek inspired piece of uh, art um, whose name I just suddenly forgot. What's the Coen brothers film? Uh, oh, brother, where oh, art thou? thou? Yeah. So oh, brother, where art thou, you know, sort of based on uh, the Odyssey. Um, but there's that scene where they're, I think they're lying, lying up in bed at night or uh, maybe outside at night. And they're talking about what they would do if they had money. And one of them says, you know, I'd go buy, you know, some property. He says, you ain't no kind of man until you got land. Yep. Ain't no kind of man until you got land. Now that's a, that's an honor issue, right? He's talking about, you know, my personal dignity is at stake. I I don't exist unless I become one of those gentlemen, because that's what a gentleman was. A gentleman was somebody who had land, you know, they could vote, they could, you know, fill in the blank. But, um, but like there, there's something noble about, him pursuing that and i've heard um i think it was uh the son of the owner founder of chess records i think it was chess talking about um as he grew up in the business and he was the one that really uh i'm probably butchering this business story but he he basically was the one who pursued blues music and um and r&b sounds and he remembered um like uh, I think it was Muddy Waters, like coming to the house when he was young and Muddy Waters pulls up and, you know, he he's a self-made man. You know, he's he's done well for himself and he pulls up and he's wearing like the most outlandish, you know, costume you've ever seen. His car is, you know, this ridiculous color and it's huge. And and it's like um, there was th that was honor. Right. That was I made it. I made it. And. Now we're tiptoeing ever so closely to, um, well, when when is enough enough? Um, and I'll, I'll give one final example of how this plays out is the Little House on the Prairie books. Right. Um, if you've ever read them, if you ever watched Michael Landon on TV, um, uh, the, the Landon show, you know, is just a little part of, of the story. If you read all the books in sequence, I think two of them happen in the same place. They're all set in different little houses or little cabins or what have you. And the reason is, is dad was never satisfied. He kept trying to find new places going further and further west. He just he just wouldn't give up. And um, Alexi de Tocqueville in, in his, you know, basically writing as a contemporary of, of the Michael Landon character, I guess you could say, um, he came over from France and studied us. We've talked about it on the podcast before. And he said he just could not believe how restless uh, the Americans were like they were just never satisfied, always needing more, always wanting more, um, whether it was space, land, wealth. Um, it was like it was like something had a, a, a switch of a flip, a flip of a switch in our country because of all this land we had. And it was like everybody could make it. 
well, let's all try to make it. And they all just started, uh, you know, a relentless pursuit um, that uh, that we're probably still uh, still going through today. So, um, you know, always restless um, is is maybe like the 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 negative uh, side of of the sword. This is if this is a two edged sword, you know, honor uh, honor for your family. That's that's amazing. But when it turns into I'm I'm never satisfied. I I need more. I need more. And it's and it's just plain old materialism, or or just just winning. Period. And that's that's all you can say about it. Like that's it's probably not as attractive. Probably probably not as healthy for us. Oh, definitely. Yeah, your your little house on the prairie story reminded me of you know my childhood. We we came from uh, you know humble beginnings and. Uh, our plan was we would buy a awful dilapidated small house. We would mm. move into it. We'd fix it up and we would only get it done the day the realtor was coming to list it. And it would be completed <laughs> at that, you know, that final hour. And then we would buy a bigger dilapidated house, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> move into it. You know, uh, you know, I didn't see finished drywall, uh, you know, until I was probably 14 or 15. I, <laughs> so I you did, like this happened. Oh, yeah. No, we. this was dad mom's plan. This was, yeah. Then we sold that one and bought a bigger, even worse house, you know, and fixed that house up. And and that was just, just this, yeah, as you said, that this relentless pursuit of, okay, how do we get ahead in life? And what are the skills that we have? But it was it was always with yeah. Can we get better? Can we do more? Right? Can we move forward? And so you know, I'm I'm hearing us talk about this, and I'm thinking very consciously about all the clients we're helping who want to improve. I mean, that's why they hired us. Mm -hmm. um, so so I I want to make it really clear. I'm not saying um, you shouldn't improve. Uh, it, it's sort of we're really talking about motivations. You know mm -hmm. what what is what is the thing that's motivating you? And something that's happened, this is um, my next quote from a little book called uh, Leisure, The Basis of Culture by Joseph Pieper. Um, he, uh, he wrote this, I think, in the 50s, and he, he essentially was noticing sort of after the war um, how much uh, work was sort of taking over, um, that, that we were all working, working, working. And he said, um, he said, listen, remember that Greek miracle? Well, he, he doesn't really talk about the Greek miracle, but he says the ancients, what they were, uh, what they were doing was trying to not work. And his, his point being, um, the, they didn't even have a word for work. They had a word for leisure, for restful <laughs> contemplation, for taking time to think about important things and, and come to some conclusions. They called that scole. And we've talked about that before on, on the podcast. He said their word for work was a scole. In other words, it was anti-leisure, without leisure. And everybody had to do it. You know, you had to put food on the table, but th this was this was not the goal. And, and when I say leisure, I don't mean, you know, sitting around the house, you know, you know, surfing the internet. I, I mean thinking, actively engaged in thinking and and uh deciding what's important and uh contemplating you know some some things about like what's really important in life and so he's got this um he's got this quote where he's he I, I can't believe he was this smart but he he noticed that they were starting to use the term knowledge worker and he was like knowledge worker like 
if you're if you're trying to come up with knowledge, you shouldn't be working. You know, you shouldn't be distracting yourself with all this work. You should be contemplating. And so his one of his ways he gets his point across is he said, is there a sphere of human activity? One might even say of human existence that does not need to be justified by inclusion in a five year plan and its technical organization. Is there such a thing or not? The inner meaning of the concepts intellectual work and intellectual worker points to the answer, no. Man, from this point of view, is essentially a functionary, an official, even in the highest reaches of his activity. Like, that's all it is. It's just you going through the motions, uh, you know, coming up with yet another plan, yet another venture to take yourself to, to new levels, but you haven't really done any uh, any contemplating and, and uh, um you know, you're nothing beyond just that plan. And he he uh, obviously saw that as, you know, how sad to be just, you know, a cog in a machine and it's a machine of your own making. So that's a problem. That is a problem. The well, I think about, you know, the people that we that we work with and how they they tell us, that, you know, when they when they get their their inspirational ideas and things like that. And it's in those rare moments when there's quiet exactly and their quiet could simply be wearing their headphones uh while they're mowing the lawn often the case <laughs> yeah that you know just in the standing in the shower yep uh, you know i'm not like i can't take calls and and you know scroll on my phone in the shower for the most part and <laughs> all of a sudden it's in those moments of of rest of, of contemplation that that the ideas come right yeah. the, the next step presents itself and and people you know yeah this is crazy but you know i thought of this while i was mowing the lawn so so there's the irony right because that's what allowed the greek miracle to happen all the progress that they had happened because of the scole it, it happened because of the time of reflection and contemplation and 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 part of what they were reflecting on i think was indeed um i I want to uh, honor the legacy I've been given. You know, I, I want to bring honor to the to the honor I've received. Um, but but that's a that's a motivation that allowed the progress. Mm-hmm. If the motivation is the progress itself, or or something silly that you're chasing that's just not worth it, like money, uh, man, it just it will not. It certainly won't fulfill, and it certainly won't last. That's oh, yeah. the scary part of this. Well, every time we've ever done um, the exercise, what does money mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. We ask people, you know, or, you know, take a post-it note, answer this question. What does money mean to you? You know, because we work in a very competitive, you know, we, we do work with high performers, highly competitive people, and they're always like, it's all about the money, you know, and yeah. they say it without even thinking. But when you make them pause and think, they go, all right, so what does money mean to you? And we get the most profound stories it's stunning you know, of, of of you know you know i don't want the, my generation that i'm raising i don't want them to live in the manner that i lived yeah you know i want security i want to be able to to, to weather any storm you know yeah. and it just you know you get all these great storms right They're, freedom yeah, yeah i mean yeah, your freedom a lot and then you have to ask you know okay, what do you mean by freedom and everybody's uh-huh. got a, kind of a different definition of it That's- so exactly. once, you, once you get past that surface answer of, yeah, we're all here for the money, it's like, all right, but what does that symbolize for you? And all of a sudden you find their motivations. 
So, so let me, um, I've got one last thing and, and we can sort of wrap this up, but I'm, I'm going to close with this. Uh, and I hope this doesn't come across as preachy to anybody, but um, I, I, I could not help but make the connection. Glaucus from Corinth. There's a couple books in the Bible written to the Corinthians. Paul writing to the Corinthians who, you know, it's a Greek, it's a Greek speaking Roman colony in Paul's day. Uh, but Paul was definitely classically educated. He would have understood a lot of the concepts that we're talking about, I think. And um, he wrote to the Corinthians who had, um, it, it, was a, it was a wealthy area. They had a lot of money. They had a problem with uh, quite a few different uh, patterns of behavior, uh, a, a big one being uh, sexual uh, um, uh, deviancy. We'll just call it that. And, um, and Paul's writing to these people who understood the concepts that we're talking about. And I should add that when Glaucus was giving his little speech, there's a Greek word he's using that I, I'm terrible at pronouncing these, but I think it's aristii or aristii. And it was basically it was basically this idea that you would excel and and stand out. Um, usually it meant like, you know, uh, battle, uh, you know, some amazing moment in battle. And and the, the Homer's epics are, are filled with, you know, these amazing scenes where somebody just does something so heroic. Um, and it's related to the the other word for excellence, erite, which is about, you know, reaching your potential and striving to, you know, be the best that you can be. Very similar to all the stuff we've talked about, Kaizen, Vorsprung, Dirk, Technique. But here's, um, it played out in the Olympics. You know, the Olympics was another example of of excelling. So here's here's Paul bringing all of that together. And this will be my final thought here. Um, he says, uh, he says, uh, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, you know, their trophy, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Uh, and and then he goes on to talk about you know that that he he wants to reach he wants to reach the goal he wants to die and and be a part of you know God's kingdom and have eternal glory and and participate in eternal glory. So if you're looking to up the ante, you know you've got money, you've got honoring your family, and then there's something up here that that you have to consider, uh, you know going going beyond uh, yourself right? Uh, uh, something something that lasts. And, and the Bible would argue, Paul would argue, um, why not go ahead and go all the way and, and make it something that lasts forever, like make it something eternal, that that's your motivation. So that's my final word. No, that's, that, that's amazing. I, the, the, the part that really struck me was uh, that, that you would receive this perishable award. Yeah, <laughs> and so so all this stuff we're working towards, be it the the house, uh, the, the 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 cars, the leather couch, and all the all the fancy yeah. stuff, at some point it's all going to be gone. Yeah, somebody's going to bulldoze your house and and build a different one. You're right, the car is going to rot. The, the everything is going to go away. What remains are the the stories, the legend, uh, the 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 accomplishments uh, that that per, you know that personify who you were as an individual. Yeah, and it and it usually seems to go back to uh, you know we talked about dignity 
it's it's the the human beings around you right they're each worth something they're these eternal souls that are worth something they count they matter uh, we're we're going to be talking about that in a workshop uh, that we're doing uh, in the future mm-hmm. and um that that has to that has to mean something right it has to mean something that we know that there's something different about the humans around us compared to the things around us so i'm done i'll shut up now Fantastic. Good stuff. Uh, we covered, what, uh, four books uh, in less than 30 minutes. That was a pretty darn impressive. Uh, so you got a little sampler platter of literature. Right. <laughs> uh, nicely done. And, uh, you know, we do know somebody in our lives who's not working for the money um, because he does all our announcing for free. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's his bigger purpose. We should probably tell him someday. <laughs> So take it away, Mr. Wolf. (laughs) And there you have it. Another session of contemporaneous extemporizing from Mark and Mike. I know it's redundant, but consider who we're talking about. As always, feel free to share the ideas you heard here. No right to reserve, no permission needed. Thanks. See you next time on It Doesn't Take a Genius. That's good enough.